Hello and welcome to another Guildhall School podcast. Today we're talking about our final drama production of the term, which is Noel Coward's Postmortem, which is directed by Lucy Bailey and designed by William Dudley here in this production. I'm joined by cast members Nick Armfield and Rosalind Laley and associate lighting designer Elliot Smith. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, so can you guys give us a bit of a, an intro into the play for people who, who might not have read it or, or seen it perform before? Yeah, um, we, we, we were talking about whether to give away certain things, but I think the most important thing to say is about it's basically set in 1917 uh, on the Western Front in the trenches uh, to start with, um, with a guy called uh, John Cavan um, and his sort of officer troop. And that is where we sort of start. And then basically throughout the play, I won't really give it away, but we sort of skip to 1930. And uh, John sort of visits a variety of people in his life. Uh, His mum, his dad, uh, his dad, including his whole business of group uh, and a couple of friends and an old girlfriend, I think. Uh, I think that covers everyone, really. But yeah, it's, it's really looking at... The First World War and its repercussions on the world and what mm. people thought about it and how people uh, looked at it from home compared to how people looked at it from the trenches and basically how it changed the world as well. Mm. And who do you guys play and how do you sort of fit into to all of that? I play uh, Perry Lomas, who is uh, in the trenches at the start with uh, John Cavan, played by the wonderful Tom Glenister. Um and I'm one of his closest friends, I'd say, if not the closest, certainly he is to me. And I'm a war poet and homosexual and basically struggle with the point of the war. And I'm one of the people who he comes back to see in 1930. And I'm playing Lady Stag Mortimer. So we discover her in 1930 um, in the production. And she's someone who lost her son in the First World War. Um, she describes it as, as giving her son. And she was someone who was very behind uh, the home front effort for women to give their sons and uh, very behind the war effort. Um, and she really represents a class which is really shifting at the time. So one of the things it looks at a lot is how class systems were jumbled up after mm. the First World War. And sh- and she's really someone that belongs to the old guard of the ruling class. And at the point at which we see her, she's really trying to cling on to uh, the status quo as it was before and, and during the war. And Elliot, not putting you on the spot, but can you tell us a bit about the history of this this play? Sure, I can. So... Well, it's an old coward play, of course. It's one of his lesser known pieces. Um, it was actually written in 1930, where the play is uh, set at a point in the in the play itself. Um, it, it hasn't really been performed much. It was first performed, uh, premiered uh, at a, uh, a World War II camp, actually. It was performed by British uh, prisoners at the World War II camp. And it then went on, uh, it was a rather intermediate television episode about the play and then further went on for its first commercial debut at the King's Head Theatre in London. What kind of research have you guys had to do to sort of get into your, your roles and kind of find find the piece and how, how you're going to stage it? So for me it's kind of been a journey with the whole production team so I'm the associate so I'm working with Chris Davey who's the lighting designer so it's heavily based around um, William Dudley's set design and so we're effectively working alongside with him um, and developing our work alongside his. I'm not going to spoil too much, but the sort of essence of this piece is is the location and how we can differentiate between A, B, C, D, E. 
um, and it's very difficult to do. So we're using a lot of video projection to sort of aid us with that. And one of the main challenges, especially with, with lighting and video, is it's, it's always a battle between presidents, really. But the soul of our job, really, is the videos, the presidents, and we're filling in the blacks, if you like. Mm -hmm. I was really lucky with uh, one of the first places I looked for a search because I, um, I started off just in the holidays reading some of Noel Coward's letters um, and I actually stumbled across a real woman who Lady Stag Mortimer was based on to some oh, extent right. called Lady Clementi, who was an ambassador's wife <laughs> who um, heavily criticised Coward for having performed in Journey's End, which was one of the things that prompted him to to write the play mm. um, and, and saying that it, you know, it, it gave a false impression of the war and um, not a noble impression of the war and of the soldiers, um, which are, are very much things that my character is um, very on message with. Um, so I, I read lots of his letters, um, other Noel Coward plays, obviously looking for stuff within the text, um, and then doing as much as possible to fill out my imagination in terms of the world that she lives in, both the 1930s and Britain in the 1930s. And also I, I looked a lot at, at childhood, at the turn of the century and, and the conditions that Lady Stag Mortimer would have grown up in mm. and also her son, Alan. Um, and then things like visiting the Imperial War Museum where there's an amazing exhibition mm, on yeah. about the First World War, um, watching films, listening to voice clips to help with the accent. Uh, so all sorts. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible actually having been able to do this research because it is such a world war one is so infamous in so many ways and like so, things like the imperial war museum are just so so important and it makes you just go even even not doing a play these are this is something i need to know about mm. it's something that i think everyone should know something about and remember as we know every single year we get to Memorial Day and it's about remembering it so it never happens again. Mm. Um, specifically for the play, I mean, for myself, there's there were swathes of things to do because I was starting in starting in the trenches and then also ending up in 1930s. So you have uh, a, a void in between of, of survivors of the war, uh, war poets, so looking at Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon and people like that. And we've done it an incredible job of collaborating our research actually and bringing in people um we had an expert in army movement army, and yes, um history and he's also an actor yeah and he, he came in and, and sort of did um sort of uh, some soldiers sort of marching and sort of things like that with us mm. uh, very very complete everything that was at the time in 1917 because even things from 1914 to 1918 completely changed in mm. the war yeah um so there were very very specific things that we had to get right um just for then and then the sort of for myself the 1930s looking back on everything so what happens in 13 years after a mm. war what do soldiers who survive get affected from it's the first it's the first known recordings of mass ptsd mm. uh from world war 1 which is 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 something it's something that's now come on and it's so prevalent now but back then how how did it come about and how did people treat it and deal with it and everything like that so 
there's been a lot to do. Yeah, I can imagine. It's kind of fascinating, actually, because it was, it was hidden up in, it was sort of hidden away in so many ways. Mm. People were just told to get on with it. And that was their sort of spirit. Yeah. Didn't you say it once? That it, uh, or was it? Too, I can't remember. But someone said um, the usual treatment was two days good rest or something for a soldier who came back from the war. It's unbelievable. Which is wow. mad. All Absolutely. of that stuff was in those days from you know from what we read and what we see it was all just it's so in the background it was yeah. it was you were supposed to show your best all of the time and mm -hmm. I think that I think that's something that, that does come across in this piece you can definitely tell that people who John visits later in his lifetime have you know encountered severe PTSD and yeah yeah it's, it's kind of it's it so, affected so, yeah. people's lives so mm -hmm. much and it's it's so much of it is about the effects whether you were involved in the war on the front lines or whether you were a mother waiting for your kid to either mm. come home or not. And uh, you guys in the cast have come fresh off the back of the cherry orchard and launching into this. And I guess in terms of historical setting and timeline, it's not that far removed in the, the start of the this piece compared to the cherry orchard. But I imagine it's quite a different feeling and quite a different setting to jump into. Well, it's amazing because it feels like, a well, it is a completely different world. Um, and I suppose those 30 years, I, for my character, I guess it's a bit of a longer gap because we're talking from, you know, very beginning of the 1900s mm. to 1930. But that's 30 years in which the whole world has changed forever. Um, so, yeah, it, it feels a million miles away with um, the way that warfare and things has even changed in that time and, and the effects of the First World War. Um, and, of course, being in Britain... Uh, as opposed to to rural Russia, um, and and specifically in London, I think uh, very much for this project, a lot of it has been getting to grips with what a city was like at that time, and mm. and there's a real sense of kind of the hustle and bustle and um, a real pace of life which is so completely different to uh, to what it was for the characters in the Cherry Orchard. So no, it's it's fascinating that they are so close together in one way but also it, it it feels completely fresh and i think there's also something about something set in the trenches as well because uh, we only stay there briefly but mm. there is something where you begin somewhere which is so well documented and understood by so many people whereas the cherry orchard we we know a lot about rural russia at uh, that sort of time but mm. you know you can make it so much about what you want and feel, whereas, yeah. whereas, there there is a there is a feeling in the Imperial War Museum. You have this, you can walk through a, a trench. Mm. They they've basically created a trench, and it, it you you feel it. You feel the sensation of that claustrophobia and those walls of mud and everything like that. And it's there was something very specific to find there. You've got like a one one Guildhall production under your under your belts now. How are you feeling about this one? Is it have you changed your approach? Are you did the, the, doing the cherry orchard kind of inform how you're preparing for for this production as well? Or? Great, feel great, <laughs> really good. I don't know. It was great. I mean, it was it was brilliant doing cherry orchard for me. I I, I felt like just a, a lovely innocence of of being able to do a first show in third year and still have fun. And I think this one. I, I felt it was really great just to go straight into it. We had like a day off after Cherry Orchard finished on the Saturday with Sunday off and then we went straight into rehearsals on the Monday and I haven't really had time to think since then, which is perfect because I'll probably <laughs> crash at Christmas. So. 
Um, yeah, no, it's fantastic. And um, I think for me, particularly the production week of The Cherry Orchard was a very steep learning curve. Mm. Um, and it's been nice to come into this uh, new rehearsal process at the at the end of that. And I'm sure mm. there'll be another learning curve at the end of this and at the end of that. Um, but it's such a dream as an actor to, like Nick said, be able to finish on the Saturday night and begin rehearsals again on a Monday. Mm. And that's such a, you know, unique aspect of this year so yeah yeah we're just grabbing it for all it's got <laughs> and Elliot where where are you in the in the process now like or what what stage so, are we on before we open next week so this morning we we've began something called dry plotting um so that's cool that is that's cool I suppose <laughs> um dry technicals dry plotting we're in our lighting plotting sessions at the moment so what that means is that we're having a play with what we've got it's, as I mentioned previously, it's very difficult working with video. Um, it's, it, it's a difficult medium to work alongside because of how the light interacts with the, with the projection. So we're sort of utilizing this time to the best of our ability to, to really uh, experiment with what we've got. But what's important to remember is that it all boils down to the play text and that's, you know, what we're resonating from. So what have been some of the the biggest challenges so far i mean you've you've mentioned video already biggest challenges yeah it's it's a very prosperous production it's it's challenging us technically um but uh, well particularly with logistics so for example in the flying system we're absolutely chock-a-block and you may think that's that's rather funny because there's not much flying but the logistics and the technical aspect to actually keep this thing you know in the air really restricts our, our space for other things for example in lighting we've made quite a big sacrifice and we have very little overhead units which are normally uh, absolutely ideal for shaping um shaping the, the, the performers mm. on stage um but we've we have we're not able to have that for this so it, it's kind of an experiment in itself um as well to you know achieve you know what we'd normally see but w without certain aspects so that's that's been quite challenging in my opinion how about for you guys as actors has been anything in your sort of roles or, or putting the production together that's been particularly challenging or kind of enjoyable to tackle and, and overcome? I think my greatest and most delicious challenge is uh, the fact that uh, the scenes have very different temperatures to them. And um, we see John in a number of different contexts. And where I come in is in uh, the offices of the Daily Mercury, which is, um, you know, huge newspaper of the time. And I think it's pitching the characters true to the text and true to their setting um, and keeping them absolutely within the world of their scene, but that also being part of, of the play as a whole, mm. which is something that, you know, Lucy's shaping brilliantly. Uh, so I feel in very safe hands, but it, it, it's fascinating how much variation there is between even the different worlds of the different scenes within the play. Yeah, it's it's that's the most important thing in this production because because the play the play takes place in so many different locations, um, particularly from a technical point of view, it's important. It was it's really important that we absolutely carry these through, as you know, it it wouldn't you know it, it the play wouldn't work at all if if we didn't have a really strong reference to all of these locations. So, I think it's it's a great thing that we've you know got this technology in place to do so and that's how we're going to be taking the, the performers and the cast on this journey is by using um our video and lighting hand in hand to uh, to do that i think i have a variety of different sort of problems as we all do through 
character work and sort of finding something that is so ingrained in history, like we've kind of been saying, but mm. someone who has survived a war and suffers from PTSD and depression. And it's, it's, these, it's, it's finding empathy with all these things because obviously I'm not living through a war, thankfully, uh, or haven't done. And how, how do you realize someone who has watched someone die on the, on the front line of a war? It's, mm. it's, I think for the, that for me, just as anything, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because every single time we do parts or plays, you, you're taking on a different life and you're finding how it resonates with yourself. Mm. And it's, it, it's something that is, is so far away um, from reality that it's, that it's finding how, how that works in myself. Mm. And now we, we're opening next week. Uh, what are you guys most, most looking forward to about the run up to, to opening night and then the, the run of the production? The real sort of joy moment for me is when everything comes together. We see these scenes, we see the transitions between other scenes and it all pulls together and it becomes one element, which is what we're always aiming for in any mm. show. So uh, seeing that, I'm most looking forward to. And we did a, because I completely agree, and I think it's, we just did a first stagger through uh Yes, two, when would, Saturday. 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 We do it on Saturday, and in in a sort of small way, that happened for us because mm. because all the scenes are like Rosie says, their own scene, and there is very little apart from John, um, going uh, weaving his way through all the scenes. A very few people actually come into contact with each other, mm. if, if if at all. And being able to see all that work that is going on and have it smushed together was really great because there was just, it's not, it wasn't a complete product, but it was so full of potential. Mm. Uh, and being able to do that with something that sounds as ambitious as it is being with the technical side as well and putting that on top of it, I think will be very enjoyable for the next week. Mm. And then it will just be hopefully enjoying every last minute of it on it's, stage it's kind of like piecing a jigsaw together mm. so you know you start each corner and then you start to build it in together and you slowly realize what you've got mm. so that's that's the kind of stage right now we're just piecing the last pieces in and we're, we're starting to to bring this thing together um, in technical week that's really going to be sort of the aim of the game mm. for me it's a really exciting moment um when you first put your whole costume on as it's going to be. And I think particularly I'm playing a character who's um, several years older than me. So I've been really inspired by the work of the costume department. And there's been a great dialogue between us about how mm. physically this is gonna be realized. Um, so I think once I've got all of that on for the first time and, and stepping out onto the stage during the tech, and and seeing the space how it's going to be yeah. um is is really a very exciting moment and and when the play starts to live in in the format that it will be during the performance week yeah that that was a really exciting moment for us as well when we we did a bit of filming on friday evening just gone um just of of the soldiers before they'd gone to war so they in training basically mm. but it was the first time you had all all soldiers in their costume and we're really I mean we're really lucky with all the costume because it's it's so detailed and real and mm. fitted and all to us and it's brilliant and being able to see sort of five or six of us um 
as we're going to be mm. was incredible. And uh, so this this podcast is going to be published on uh, Love Theatre Day, which is done in association with, with the stage. Uh, and it kind of gives audiences a chance to see backstage in, in theatres and drama schools and get an idea of the process behind pulling these kind of productions together. Uh, I'd wanted to ask all of you to finish, like what's what's one part of the process that you really enjoy that audiences you know, might not realise is part of pulling a production together or they, they don't really see that often? Opening night. For me, that's the moment where you, you first get your audience reaction. Mm. It's great fun putting it together in, in the technical periods. Um, but once you finally see, you know, a living audience uh, watching this piece or watching a show, that's the moment where you really sort of, you know, you get your relief and you, you see what they think of it and you sort of, you know, get those feelings of proudness or, or whatever you may feel or dismay or you know, whatever. But that won't be the case for this one. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great feeling. It's... Um, it's yeah that, that's that's the moment i particularly enjoy i've got a couple okay. it's hard to narrow it down <laughs> i love it all I'll take one. um but uh with cherry orchard we made sure that we came together as a cast uh before every performance uh which was actually something that nick really instigated and um that was always a, a fantastic moment um backstage that the audience wouldn't see and another particular favourite moment is um, when I've been warming up on the stage and when I then leave the stage with an empty auditorium, knowing that next time you enter, it's going to be as your character with a full house and all the other um, actors on the stage. I think that's a really exciting moment as well. I mean, all, all of the above. Um, big pressure to top those. I know, God. Um, I think I think there are a couple. I, I, love, I love the first moment you can... I love the first time you can throw the book away and be able to just roam around on stage and do anything. So it's the first moment you really have control of your words. Mm. The naivety of being able to just to do anything mm. while also having um, the license because you know your lines, basically. I think mm. that and and also I really enjoy small little rituals you have with people before before nights open i think it's so important and i think it will be important in a show like this because of because it seems like it's so it could seem like it's segmented but i think we're more than ever you have to feel like you're aiming for one goal together and if you don't realize the heat and the energy of a scene like Rosie was saying, because they're violently different mm. um, of one scene, it, it will jar and you don't know why it jars, but it just jars. So the idea of connecting with your fellow actors and your stage management as well, I think being able to just be in sync with the people who are in the wings as well and mm. not feel like you're in each other's way, I think is really important because I think that was what, it was great with Cherry Orchard. We felt like we were, all doing the same thing and it's the first time for us actors where we've had asms sort of running around us and a dsm in the corner and it like knowing that that is all pushing forwards rather mm. than doing something else mm. i think is really important it was amazing suddenly you're in performance week and there's another four or five members of the company yeah. who know the play inside out <laughs> and know all of your movements and exactly what I mean, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it, how well it all fit, fit together in such mm. a short space of time. It was incredible. Absolutely mm. incredible. 
Well, a huge thanks to to our guests for joining us today for another another podcast. Uh, Postmortem runs from the 23rd to the 29th of November in the Milton Court Theatre. You can get your tickets from the Barbican box office or go to gsmd.ac.uk slash events for, for more info and all the dates. Um, you can follow and subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. And uh, follow us on Instagram. We're at Guildhall School and on Twitter and Facebook as well. We're the same on all of them. Thanks very much, guys. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. Thank you.